I think I have seen Car Wash more than any other film. Yeah. Because I, I mean, 1976, I was five years old. We probably saw it in the movie theater. <laughs> um, because, you know, back then, it's like there were no babysitters. So we were taken to all the R movies. <laughs> so I remember seeing like, the cuckoo's nest in the theater. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, T movies used to come on TV periodically and there was, I feel like, a, you know, an old person back in my day, there was this thing called the TV guide and you, I would like plot out my week and I would see, you could see what was coming on television. Yes. And, um, and so whenever car wash was coming on and it was usually late at night and I would sneak and stay up really late or if I was a teenager, I'd just stay up late and watch it. So over the years I've lost track of how many times I've watched it. And so, but I've never had a conversation with anybody about it. So it's the film I've watched most, but talked about the least. Yeah. So I thought this was an opportunity. Welcome back to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. The Deluxe Car Wash is the meeting place for a cast of characters. Mr. B is the manager who's carrying on an affair with Marcia, the receptionist. Erwin, Mr. B's son, is a mal-quoting college student. Abdullah recently converted to Islam and is trying to get everyone hip to his Black revolutionary rhetoric. Lonnie is the foreman, an ex-con, who always has a cigar hanging from his mouth. TC has three loves, his comics, his afro, and Mona, the waitress who won't give him the time of day. Lindy is a cross-dresser with wit as sharp as her nails. Chuko and Goody are pranksters, while Floyd and Lloyd are constantly trying to perfect their song and dance routine. Every now and then, they clean cars. This week's film is Car Wash, and it was chosen by Disha Filia, author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, winner of the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction, the 2020 LA Times Book Prize, and a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. before you uh or when you suggested this film or chose it mm -hmm. i would have said yeah of course i've seen car wash and i started watching and i was like i oh, know i haven't actually seen car wash all the way through oh. and it's okay. one of those things where i feel like it's it this is this is also sort of lost i think at this point where mm -hmm. because of how massive the soundtrack was how ubiquitous it was in yeah. my life that yeah. I'm like, of course I have a memory of that, but it's really mm -hmm. just the music of it and like having caught it on TV a yeah. little bit here and there and to be like, of course it's 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 ingrained in me, but like I had not watched the whole film until until this this conversation. Okay, well I'm glad you got to see the whole thing. Yeah, and I, I it's a <laughs> it's an interesting movie, right? Like like mm -hmm. I don't know what I was, what I remembered of it, but I didn't think of it in terms of. It's not a plot. It's not a plot-driven movie, right? Like this is mm -mm. slice of life, car, just the day in the life of the of the folks working at the car wash and yeah. all of the characters that inhabit it, and then these sort of little like instances that happen along the way, and it's an interesting like thing to think about in terms of like being in 1976 and like what black film was looking like at that time, yeah. like majority black film. This is a very multiracial film in, in mm -hmm. a number of ways, but like, I feel like 
to not go with any plot is very it's a, it's an interesting thing to 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 think about like where a lot of stuff was plot heavy right yeah and it was it felt like it, i mean definitely very intentional choice on the part of the writer um who i had to look up because i didn't know who the writer was joel schumacher joel schumacher um, you know, um, and so who also, um, what was the other, I mean, he, he's written a lot of other films. Did he also write Cooley High? Because the same person who directed, um, no, he didn't write Cooley High. The, the director is the same for Cooley High and Car Wash. Wow. But um, it was many slices of life at mm -hmm. once. It's like, we're going to get in, uh, you know, Black revolutionaries. We're going to mm -hmm. get in Black relationships. We're going to get in you know, race relations with capital R's. We're gonna get in a little communism. Um, and it was, cause this is not a progressive film in, in many ways it's not, but um, around that there's a trans character. Mm -hmm. And I think it this film reminds us of just how regressive we are mm. yeah, it, it, around trans, uh, trans issues and trans representation because the way that this film is handling it is not hateful at all. And yet we're in a moment where there's so much, you know, um, transphobia and so forth. So, um, you know, so, I mean, the, 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 the writers were, the writer was doing a lot. Um, then you, and then it's almost like somebody said, you know what, we got to get Richard Pryor. I don't know how, <laughs> but we got to get Richard Pryor in here. Um, and um, and this idea around uh, the prosperity preacher, which mm -hmm. we think some people might think that's a new phenomenon, but mm -hmm. if you're my age, you know about Reverend Ike, you know, and he had you know some peers, and so Daddy Rich, Daddy um, Rich. you know, but it was like I mean, and they there was just so much packed into um, into the film, and then there was um, sort of the you know, there was a, a character who was an indigenous person and there was, you know, slurs and things going back and forth. And, you know, and there was just a lot of kind of comeuppance. Like mm. everybody was raggedy at some point and then, <laughs> you know, and then they got there sort of thing. And, um, so a lot was packed into that film. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it, there's a few things I want to touch on there, but like there, this is, you think of car wash and you're thinking, oh yeah, there's Richard Pryor in there. There's George Carlin in there. Yeah. And, and like, this is a comedy, right? And it is a comedy, but it's, it's a social commentary yes. on so many things that are happening, right? Like, like you're saying, like you're touching on like, you know, radical politics and communism and like trans characters and like sexuality and, and mm -hmm. gender relations and race, really all of that stuff happening because like, as it is, it's a, as the slice of life is to say that like all of that is happening all at yes. once. We're all engaged yes. in that in some way. And like, we do have, we got to talk about Antonio Fargas as Lindy. Yes. It's just like, when Lindy appears, like I got nervous, right? Like I was like, this film is from 1976. <laughs> <laughs> What's gonna happen? <laughs> Hey, hey! So when I get in the congratulations, girl, I'm the big winner. And the whole city knows it. Can you get to that, my love? I want the tickets to the concert tonight. I'm going to go pick them up in a few minutes. Look, Casey, 
I'm tired and I'm busy and I've had a day. Now you listen to me. You wait for some high-class prince to come in here and sweep you off your feet. That's not gonna happen. I am your prince. Don't no one dig you as much as I do. You know that. But if you don't get yourself together and start treating me different, I'm not coming around here anymore. And if you don't want to go out with me tonight, I'll just give me somebody who will. But never is Lindy true. Like, yes, there's jokes there and that type of stuff because it's sort of like trying to be irreverent in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. But never is Lindy treated as a character that's less than, right? right? Like, Lindy is treated, like, comes into the locker room at the car wash and everyone's just sort of, like, like hooting and hollering a little jokey about, like, how fine she is or whatever it mm -hmm. is. But, like, you never get the sense that, like, Lindy feels at all like an outsider. Lindy is very right. much embraced by this group. Yes. And there one moment where um bill duke's character abdullah mm -hmm. you know uses slur against lindy lindy gets the last word and says mm -hmm. um it's like what is it i'm more man i'm more man than you'll ever be and more woman than you'll ever have like, <laughs> yes <laughs> and yeah yeah so it was you know because i think it was a nod to the fact that you know, we all, the filmmaker didn't also didn't want to give the impression that Lindy had it easy either. Right. You know, because that would have been, I think, a, a grave mistake. Um, but you know, so then he used Abdullah's character to um, to show you know that hostility. Mm -hmm. um, but that was not the, as you said, that was not the the the, the general feeling and sentiment of Lindy's, you know, coworkers, you know. Um, everybody cared about everybody else, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and when I think about why I like this film despite <laughs> its shortcomings, um, I think there's that aspect of it too. That, But they didn't do it in this way that's like, we're colorblind, race doesn't matter. It did it in a way that just felt very natural and very organic, which is these are people who work together every day, who have each other's back, who have formed, um, you know, what we would consider a family in, in many respects across their differences. Um, but at the same time, nobody has to pretend to be colorless or genderless or, you know, whatever, um, that they make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that for me, that moment between Abdullah and Lindy, it's reflective of this, like, what we would now call, like, those hoteps, right, right? Like, but, like, yeah. that, that strain of, like, Black radical politics that had always, mm -hmm. it's always sort of existed. And it's it's a comeuppance for that, that part of it, which is, like, mm -hmm. Abdullah revolutionary, right? Changed his name, Abdullah mm -hmm. Muhammad Akbar, right? Like he mm -hmm. comes to work late and he's just like, I don't need this slave job, all of, all of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's focused on the idea of revolution as being something about the black man and like mm -hmm. sees Lindy as a betrayal of that. Yeah. I think, yes. you know, there's so, there's so many more examples of that that come up and like, you, you know, we can talk about like, you know, all, all of the literature, all the Black feminist literature of the time that's sort of dealing with, with that. Mm -hmm. um, 
makes me think of now like a Dave Chappelle, right? Like that yeah. just can't see beyond the idea that like the primary focus of like black liberation is is the black man and then the ability of the black man to do whatever. But it, it's it's so rich in that like, again, Lindy gets the last word there. Lindy mm-hmm. gets to like verbally spit in Abdullah's face to say mm-hmm. that like, you don't even know what it is that you want that that will set you exactly. free. And like, exactly. I'm, I'm so assured of myself. Right, I'm already free. Right. Even with the, 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 the challenges around me, you know, Lindy ha- enjoys a freedom and a sense of self and self-possession that Abdullah does not have, that um, he's trying for in ways that um, ultimately, you know, Lindy threatens his masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's, it, but then there's the other part of that, that like Abdullah has a little moment with Daddy Rich too, right? And it's like, yeah. I think there's these these little things in which it's like to say that like, everybody's got a little bit of them that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no, no guys, bad guys. Right. You know? Like you, you have empathy for everybody and everybody pisses you off at some point too. <laughs> and Daddy Rich, like, like Richard Pryor, I mean, it's Richard Pryor, right? Like he's yeah. just magnetic <laughs> in every way, but like it's, that he embodies that character so well and like he's he's he sort of did that character on his tv show um mm-hmm. in, in a way but that prosperity preacher and then like the pointer sister there to like being singing and holding his mink and all of that stuff and like <laughs> like you're saying it's like this it feels like i watch this and i'm like there's how is it that you you cram all of that in there and it also continues to feel so relevant because it's just like i'm i that's td jakes right like that like yeah. <laughs> or creflo dollar who has yeah. recently said oh i was wrong about tithing for the last 20 years but i'm not giving you money back <laughs> you know like thanks <laughs> and you know and that was a scene that you know when i was kind of poking at it there were a couple of things that i didn't didn't really like the um the older black man who shines shoes, mm. you know, he has this reverence for um, Daddy Rich as, you know, all of the characters did. Um, and we know that, you know, what happens is people make idols of mm. men like Daddy Rich, of these pastors and see them as godlike. However, when the, I thought, it was, it rang false when the character says to daddy, he refers to daddy rich as Lord. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's no black person no. of that age no. that's going to refer to another human being as God. No. And so I get it, but it, so it looked, it went a little too far there. Like, yes, they are idolizing this man, but he, it just didn't ring true to me that he would actually call him Lord you know right. um and and that rang that rang a bit false and um and then just there was something about the 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 what is the word for it? when when they're moving around the staging i guess that's in theater i don't know about in on films when they're trying to force abdullah to listen to the pointer sisters mm. that was one of the moments in the film where i felt like they the characters didn't quite know what to do 
Mm. So it was, it was kind of improvised mm. and you could tell, you know, it just felt a little rough around the edges, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. And it and it's one of those things that before, when I watched it as a young person, I love that scene because I love the Pointer Sisters and I love the pageantry of it all. But now, you know, at my big age, it's like I'm analyzing it and I'm like, you know, the song is spot on, but it was just something awkward. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It was just like an awkwardly staged scene. That's so. interesting. Cause I, I, yeah, I think, you know, in watching it the, uh, to do these, these conversations, I always watch twice. I think I just sort of like, like you, uh, before mm-hmm. just sort of like embrace that scene as like the Pointer Sisters getting their moment to just like just sing that song this beautiful song right like yeah. it's just it's mm-hmm. fun but there's it's like you're saying there's something to attempting to force Abdullah into this moment that like not everyone is really clear because it's like it's it's pointed in one direction and mm-hmm. none of the other characters are participating, right? Like they're 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 sideline characters that just like have been, but they're already they've been established as personalities. So we don't understand like what their relationship to this moment actually is. And I think that right. that's the sort of awkwardness that maybe you're you're pointing to. Yeah, because I I get the sense that. The, 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 the script for that was like, okay, everybody gather around and make sure that, and, and like push Abdullah towards them. Mm. But you had, for example, um, what was her name, Marlene, the hooker? Yeah. So even she was like all into Daddy Rich and I'm like, but the church probably, you know, she probably has experienced all kinds of condemnation from the church. Mm. But it, so it, it was like, I, it, the, the, the script didn't show how, the different characters might respond to him based on what we, like you said, what we already know about um, those characters. It was, it was gonna be everybody versus Abdullah, mm. even if it didn't make any sense, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so when I'm looking at Marlene bobbing her head and trying to get Abdullah to listen, I'm like, shouldn't she just be still over there worrying about um, Joe, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And don't want no parts of <laughs> you know that that would have been more true for me, but mm. that just felt like a, a last minute kind of decision around like okay everybody go over there all right just you know so or in a in a way sort of like these poles of black thought right like being mm-hmm. like presented to one against one another in competition with one another. And then there's just like this overwhelming like reverence for the prosperity gospel, but it's like Abdullah is not alone, right? And I think that that's the right. thing is that like Abdullah is presented as if like he's he alone like believes this is like you know red, black, and green everything like like that that he stands alone, and it's like no, I'm pretty sure among these folks they've heard this before like there's some things that there's some ideas yeah. they're sympathetic to right like that there's not there's not a binary there to to yeah. say that they like would That's listen good. to one over the other and why would Lonnie be a fan of daddy rich like that just doesn't ring true yeah. at all yeah yeah that doesn't, uh, make, that doesn't make sense yeah but that's the other where it's like like you have this variety of characters it's like you've got somebody that has 
been to, been to prison before. You got mm -hmm. like this trans character. You got this black revolutionary. You have this indigenous character. I believe mm -hmm. one of them was a like Mexican character. Like, 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 and everyone's got their issues. Everyone's this character. And I think that there's a richness to that, right? That like, mm -hmm. when, when you think of, because I feel like the film is so much just like a, it, and I say slice of life, it is slice of life of working class folks. Yeah. And yeah. to say that like within that, we can't continue the the sort of like whitewashing of what working class looks like. And then the, mm -hmm. the like, the idea of a homogenous working class, even within like racial sets, it's like, no, mm -hmm. working class people are working class, like there's dreamers like Floyd and Lloyd, right? Like, yeah, right. They're politically diverse. Yeah. Yeah. And saying that, that sort of working, I, I feel like it also ends on this such a somber note, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that I have never liked the ending. Mm. I, and, and not just the ending with Lonnie and um, and Abdullah. I didn't like the ending when TC and um, Mona go out oh, either. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. And I, and I think growing up, I thought, you know, it was like a happy thing at the end, but now I was like, and and, and as you said earlier, it's so much like the present moment, mm -hmm. which is here's a black man telling a black woman, you can't do any better than me. <laughs> you, you know, nobody's better. You, you might as well, you know, expecting a black woman to settle and she stands her ground, stands her ground. And then finally at the end, it's like, okay, I'll go out with you. And I'm like, no. And so no. like, I knew it was coming this time. I was so irritated when I watched it recently. Um, and I had forgotten that, cause in my you know child mind, it was like, she just wasn't interested in him, mm. you know? And that's why he, she kept blowing him off. He was like corny, but she told him specifically, she was like, no money, no class, no future. She was like, no more, I'm not doing it. And then he comes in, tells her off and she's like, okay, I'll go out with you. Nothing has no money, no class, no future. But suddenly when he pointed out that she was stuck up and, you know, how dare she wait for a great guy to come along. This, he's it. This is what you're going to get. This is nothing, <laughs> nobody else is going to love you more than me. And she's like, damn, okay. <laughs> all went out sad. Oh man. I, I'm like, I, I was devastated because I was cheering when she was like, you know, you have nothing nothing to offer me yeah. and he was basically like I got this harassment girl <laughs> <laughs> let me harass you nobody's gonna harass you like I harassed you other dudes will be love degrade you until you love me <laughs> and I'm like what a terrible message for me and other girls like if the dude harasses you, that means he really likes you and you should give him a chance. Fuck no. Like, no. Uh. And the thing is, it's like he's persistent in his harassment. And then in this moment, all he has to offer is some free concert tickets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So she proved, thus proving her point. He couldn't <laughs> afford to take her to the concert. 
<laughs> he had to win the tickets. My thing is, how are you getting there? Snacks afterwards, you know, like don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> no, oh please. my god. This moment I saw that, I was like, no, there's <laughs> no way. There is absolutely no way. I don't know a single black woman responded to that to this Negro sitting up here saying, You ain't gonna do no better than me. So and I'm like, you know. no, it's not like she was an unattractive woman or something like that. Like oh, you no. know, and and one thing that men hate, and it's part of that whole um black manosphere conversation, that whole high value man thing. This idea, and I know, you know, there's a, the classist overtones, but for lack of a better phrase, somebody being out of your league, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I, what I think that means is, you know, as a person, whether you're, you know, what, regardless of your gender, there's certain things that are important to me. And what was important to her was that somebody have some class, have a future and have some money. So you can do things if nothing else, but whatever whatever her reasons, she was entitled to want what she wants. But this idea that black women, we are not supposed to want what we're, what we want, mm. you know, we're supposed to just take whatever somebody's willing to give us because we're so undesirable and we're just like horrible human beings. I mean, that's sort of the message and going that saying you should settle because nothing better is going to come along for you. Well, even if that were true, and we don't know that it is, the bottom line is her not being interested in him should have been enough, right. you know? I really don't like that message that our no isn't enough, mm. you know? That it, a, a man's interest in us and persistence trumps our no. And it's like, that's so dangerous. It's so yeah. dangerous. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it... <laughs> It, I don't know. It stands out in this movie somehow. Like, like for everything else that it is, like that moment just stands out for me. And I think it, it's in part because it's you. You contrast that with the moment between Abdullah and Lindy, mm -hmm. and it's like there's there's an understanding that all of these different power dynamics are at play. And mm -hmm. there's there's an interest in in upending some of those, right? Like that, mm -hmm. you know, here's here's a way of like putting Abdullah in his place, as it were. Mm -hmm. Mona's not afforded that. And like, right. and in a way, and and like responds to the degradation with like a new desire for TC in some way. And I think that that like that's the thing that that it, it makes it it's so stark to just be like mm -hmm. in this film where in every moment someone has a comeuppance that has to do with those power dynamics for Mona mm -hmm. it's not true right and, and and it's that was one of many moments where it's like you know what a white man wrote this mm -hmm. because the white girl who was pining away for her married boss mm -hmm. a rich man well rich white man comes Mm -hmm. sees her and it's like I'd like to take you out on a date tonight mm -hmm. and we know that he's and so she in moves away from the, you know being somebody's you know side chick to a potential you know great romance but Mona doesn't get that 
are, you know, Joel Schumacher didn't give that to Mona and, um, and he didn't give it to Marlene who is pining away mm -hmm. for her John, I guess, you know, that she's fallen for. And she doesn't get any closure except she gets, she gets, um, I forget the character's name. Uh, she gets the guy's radio, the one who she has sex with in the bathroom. Mm, yeah, yeah. She has his radio at the end, but do they live? I, I can't remember. Because I, I know she has the radio, but I yeah. think she's alone at the end. I, I'm pretty sure she's alone at the end. Yeah. 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 But so she gets a radio. She gets and so, radio. And that means that the dude didn't even, well, I'm assuming because they remember they're in the locker room and they're like where's your radio and he was like uh i lost it or i dropped like he makes an excuse and i was like maureen got that uh, marlene has that radio and sure enough the next time we see her she's got the radio um so you know yeah so black women did not fare well in this movie <laughs> um the, the one character's girlfriend who was like you got to go back to school or we're done and yeah. he was not having it but then she came back. She came back. And then, and then it was no, he didn't say, I'm going to go to school. He just said, you know what? Next week, we're going to talk about it. I'm like, y'all been talking about it clearly forever. <laughs> and is the conversation going to be, I ain't going back to school. <laughs> like, but I'm like, why did she come back? No reason. There's no reason for her to come back. No, she like does not want good, nice things for black women. I'm Unless TC was talking to her too and just said, you ain't gonna do no better. You don't know, do no better. She heard TC talking <laughs> to Mona. <laughs> well, shit, I guess I, guess I better come back for this dude. Yeah, I don't know. What's one lasting image from Car Wash that sticks with you? Oh gosh. Um I it was um Marlene in the bathroom putting on her makeup. Mm. And that was that was little Disha. I was like mesmerized by how beautiful she mm. is, you know, and she just to me seemed so glamorous. I did not know. As a child, obviously, you know, that she was a sex worker. Mm -hmm. And and I'm trying to think when it, it, it must have dawned on me at some point. But then I remember distinctly that when Comic View used to come on mm -hmm. and there was a comic who was like, don't Mary J. Blige look like the hooker from Car Wash? Do you remember that? Remember. And I just, like, I realized, like, I... I never really thought of her that way, but I'm like, yeah, I guess she, she she was. And then looking at the film, I'm like, Mary J. Blige don't look like her. It was just that when she the, when we first see her in the back of the cab, she was on a blonde wig, and mm -hmm. so that you know Mary had her blonde period, and you know I think that's what the comedian was talking about. But the audience loved it as if you know it was yeah. really a thing. Um, but yeah, I just thought you know, Marlene was absolutely beautiful. And 
you know, there's definitely colorism at play. So, you know, they position Mona's character who's light skinned, mm -hmm. you know, as just, you know, absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they were both beautiful women. Truly. Truly. Okay. These intended to be quick questions, but they are okay. for people. Okay, not just me. <laughs> so if it's not if it's not car wash, what is your all-time favorite film? I suck at superlatives. So <laughs> it's a tie. Color purple and moonlight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moonlight already yeah. up there with color purple for you. Yeah, that movie. I oh, mean, God. I just sob in the theater. I'm sitting there after the credits were done. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I feel like I can't even really watch it like that many, like, cause it just that, like, that yeah. heavy for me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a whole lot. Um, shout out to Andre Holland, who I got to meet last October at Tessa Thompson's birthday party. <laughs> read my book. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just that little flex. <laughs> just a little flex. Just a little flex. He was like, he was so sweet and he really loved my book and I was just floored. I was floored. Love that. Yeah, that was cool. But anyway, yeah, so those two. Okay, okay. And what film best captures the idea of family for you? Soul Food. Soul Food. And when that movie came out, I saw it in the theater with my then husband and I was pregnant. Mm. and mm. what is it with me and crying I mean I remember being in the parking lot and I just cried my eyes out and he was like what is wrong with you and I was like our baby's never gonna have that because his he doesn't have like a big family that gathers like that and um my family was in Florida and, and it and you know they were kind of scattered as well. So we didn't have those kinds of traditions. Mm. And I felt like, and that was a reminder to me that our child was gonna miss out on yeah. that. And um, so between that and pregnancy hormones, I was devastated. Um, because even though I didn't grow up like that a hundred percent i mean when i went to my grandmother's house on my dad's side it was like soul food yeah. every sunday people came by we sat around the dining room table there was no drama because my grandparents didn't do drama in their house mm -hmm. and it was all laughs and all love um but just the togetherness mm -hmm. you know that to me is 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 you know what i thought family was yeah. and i knew that you know that I was not going to have that. My family wasn't going to have that. So. Sorry, I just brought no, down. No, please, <laughs> please. I mean, yeah, I didn't, we didn't have that particular, because we just, we moved away from like where the, where my parents were from in DC and we didn't have like every weekend or anything like that, but just like mm -hmm. family gatherings when they were around yeah. big things, like family reunion or you know yeah. birthday or a special birthday or whatever that was like that was the feeling for of soul food to me it's just like yeah, oh, yeah that, people cooking and all of that stuff in the kitchen laughs and jokes and all of that we didn't have we didn't have the drama that soul food has what'd you say <laughs> family fucked my husband <laughs> oh okay <laughs> Like, oh, I think we're gonna go now. Uh, can't come back from that. <laughs> listen, listen. 
I'm running away. <laughs> I ain't even in it. I'm gone. I'm gone. Oh man. Uh uh, Disha, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, this was so much fun, Michael. And I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Fine time to ask. Okay. All right. I was like, I thought it might have been fancy, like Mikasa. I don't know. <laughs>Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from LitHub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the LitHub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're enjoying what you hear, share Open Forum with a friend or on social media. Next week, the evolution of a suburban high school crime ring.